Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, screen rats, couch potatoes. Oh, Papa's a little angry today. Papa's a little angry. Just read a review online of the podcast. Gave it four stars, said they were still listening. Said, could be great, but the musical stings were annoying, too long, and my silly voices were pissing them off. Well, guess what? Don't fucking listen. There you go. Go listen to something else that doesn't have uh, musical stings or funny voices. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? I mean, that's going to be my thing. I like doing it and I like the silliness of it. And also it's a way of chopping things up. And sometimes the audio quality is not good. So I cover it up by re-recording silly, you know, Alvin type uh, overdub. That's what I do. So if you don't like it, fuck off and listen to something else. Go to Off Menu or something. Listen to people talking about food. I do listen to that once. I'm not slagging it off. Uh, okay. So today we have a great guest. Her name is Jay Lafferty. She's a Scottish comedian. We had a really good chat. It didn't get to television to quite a long way into it, which is not a problem as far as I'm concerned. We were talking about kids quite a lot. There's a lot of chat about that. It basically is kids and movies, this one. Kids and movies. I know, movies. <laughs> and for the critics out there, not only is there going to be some high-pitched speaking, there's also going to be a little poem, a little rhyme, uh, various bits that they're not going to like. So, so as I said before... If you don't like this, fuck off and listen to something else. Also, I'm under no illusion. I don't think people are listening to this yet. I think we have a small listenership and I am trying to grow it slowly. This is going to be an organic thing. It's not something I'm expecting uh, thousands and thousands of people to listen to. Why would they? Who am I? How do they know uh, what this is when I barely know what it is myself at this point? This is a ever-changing podcast, which I think will start to take shape in the next few months. Uh, I have a format. I play with it. I change it. Maybe the voices will go. I doubt it. Maybe the interludes will stop. Maybe there'll be less of them. Maybe there'll be new ones. I don't know. I'm just playing it by ear. Let's see how it goes. Um, but please don't complain yet. It's a bit early to complain. If you've got ideas, I'll take them on board. My friend gave me an idea. That's why I'm talking to you right now. That's why I'm not going straight to the guest. So don't get too upset. Everything is fine. Now, my chat with Jay Lafferty is coming up. There's some triggering stuff in there, which I will mention again. There are spoilers, so if you don't like spoilers, I'm saying spoilers again. When you hear the shows we talk about, there's going to be spoilers. And there's talk about IVF treatment and pregnancy and birth and missing your kids. And if people don't have kids and they have, you know, dogs and call themselves dog fathers and cat mothers and all that stuff, it's not the fucking same. But, you know, keep listening. Imagine it's your dog. I don't know. I don't know what people do. So... To Jay Lafferty. She's got a show called Bahooky at the Edinburgh Fringe at the Sportsman's at Gilded Balloon, which I'm going to see, and I advise you to go and see as well. It's going to be awesome in the true sense, not in that way that Americans band it about. Sorry, Americans, you know you do it. And, yeah, I like this chat. It was uh, affable, a little bit uh, awkward recording. It sounded a bit like a phone at times. It didn't sound like that when we were doing it, but um, I've done my best, and I hope you enjoy this chat between me and Jay Lafferty. What a lovely day for a podcast. Roll up, roll up. Welcome to Television Times, a new podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms. From my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them, and what made them laugh and cry here on Television Times. How old's your uh, baby? Three. Three. Yeah. Um, his dad's just taking him out because 
he would just be running in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wanting to talk to you about Marvel. Marvel? That's early. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's obsessed with um, Avengers and superheroes so did you buy like marvel bedding or something what started it no i think he just um spidey and his amazing friends it's like a kitsch version and um, so he started on that and then he just uh, the more characters that they kind of introduced and then he was asking all the other characters and now he watches all the lego versions of like you yeah. and avengers and stuff so he knows all of the characters now he's never seen an actual marvel movie like he's never seen you know yeah. A real life one. I think that'd be young for that. Yeah, it'd be too much. But he's got all of the heroes and all of the characters. And Easter time, we bought a old doll's house off of Facebook Marketplace. That's mm-hmm. And um, we redecorated it, made it into a superhero layer. So he has all that. So yeah, so he's away out with his dad, much to his annoyance, because he was like, I just want to sit in and play with my toys, but he's a way out. It's funny what they get into sort of quickly. I I mean, you say he's not a baby, but because I have a nine-year-old, I still call the twins the babies Yeah, all the time. Like if I'm texting my wife, I'm like, "Uh, what time the baby's going to bed? Are they still up or, you know? He's still our baby. I told him, like, doesn't matter how old he gets, he'll be our baby, but... (laughs) Yeah, he's got a lot to look forward to with the extended Marvel Universe and all the TV shows and all that. I haven't even seen them all. I've kind of given up. My son, uh, he wanted to go and see Spider-Man and then I think we went to see Thor Love and Thunder at the Everyman because he's he's suddenly become middle class. <laughs> he's like, I took him took him to the Everyman once and he saw the seats. Yeah. And then he goes, can we go to the Everyman again? I'm like, that's not our normal cinema situation. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a treat. That's a bit- <laughs> he's only really watched a few actual movies, like a few actual real life movies in the night at the museum um, i've only just seen them myself oh yeah well i had absolute disdain for those as an adult and now i'm watching them going oh they're quite good oh yeah they're totally good like uh, yeah. the reason that we went with that is he's obsessed with the museum like, right. and so we decided to like that would be quite a good one to do and he's absolutely mm-hmm. loved them he's watched all three and the cartoon version now um oh, yeah but now he's really annoyed that there is no teddy roosevelt he's found all the other characters we can't find a Teddy Roosevelt and I have to kind of explain to him that, you know, Teddy Roosevelt wouldn't really be in the Scottish Museum of History. So. Hey, just a little quick trigger warning for people who don't want to hear about childbirth, not that there's anything graphic, and IVF treatment, and the general missing of your children when you have to go away. So I gave birth in uh, November 2019, oh, okay. so he was just over three months when we went into lockdown yeah. yeah so he's like a pandemic baby but no i didn't have to do all the horrible giving birth in the pandemic kind of yeah system. um so that was quite lucky uh it was yeah i mean it was a bit sad in some ways it kind of came as a perfect time for us because i stupidly having never given birth but have gone through 10 years of ivf i think sometimes makes you feel like a superhero yourself right. and so i had decided that I was because I had him in November and obviously you know like comedian's busiest time is Christmas yeah I went back to work full time three weeks after having him and I I worked right up to the night before I gave birth Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I worked the whole of like December and weirdly January February and the start of March were really busy that year yeah uh, which was great because then what ended up happening is we went into pandemic 
and I had decided that I wasn't going to go like away to gig until he was four months old. That's what I had in my head. I had, I think right. the place I was supposed to go was Birmingham Glee in the April. And um, then obviously went into lockdown and it was great because I had, because I'd done all this, I'd saved a, a lot of money as well because obviously you don't get maternity leave when you're self-employed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'd been a bit of an older mum, I was really worried that something would happen and I'd end up in bed rest or something. Mm. But saved up a lot of money. So we still had all that. We had the December gigs, January, February gigs. And then we went into lockdown and it was just ideal because it was just like a perfect time. Like I, I wasn't worried anymore. I'd kind of established all the things that you have to establish when you're a new mum. Yeah. Everybody met them. That was all good. And then we went into lockdown and I just remember sitting like in April going, oh, I don't actually have to leave them because I don't know how I would have done it. Like I li- yeah. don't know how because I was breastfeeding and stuff. And I was like, how am I going to? And I couldn't take them with me. I mean, I probably could have, but it would have been just stupid. It would have like financially wouldn't have probably made any sense. But like yeah. Yeah, the whole thing just kind of properly worked out for us. And it was only in that time that I kind of looked back and went, oh, yeah, I really wasn't ready to go back to work three weeks after. And we, I had like a emergency situation for my birth as well. So it was I was in intensive care um, for, for 24 hours, as was he. Um, so like, yeah, it was just at that point where you look back and you go, what was I doing that? I know, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> that kind of stuff is mad and I can only speak from the father's point of view. About 2019 for me as well, my wife decided to change career. She was a graphic designer, she's now a carpenter. And I decided to go into comedy and write. And I wrote my book, You Shot My Dog and I Love You, which came out around the same time as your baby was born, just before pandemic, just in time for the publisher to almost go bankrupt and not push the book, um, which is perfect. <laughs> but um Around that time, that's when we sort of swapped our jobs and I ended up being basically the stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Since the pandemic, she's now the full-time worker and I, I sort of do everything from home and I try and do all these things and do comedy at night and, and, and write and, you know, do podcasts. And so it's... Uh, yeah. But I do get to drop the kids at school, pick them up, do all the stuff. Some of it's fun, some of it's not. <laughs> I, it just reminded me of something completely, which I haven't thought about for a long time, but when my twins were born in November 2017, the, the boy twin, he was actually very small. Um, so he had to go back into hospital and he was going back into hospital around the same time I was supposed to be starting on a panto. And I remember just getting off the bus. You know, sometimes if you've ever done this, you get off the bus and you go to walk towards a job, but you know you're not going in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had this French music playing in my, in my headphones and I sort of walked slowly, got myself a coffee. And I thought, I'm not going in. I don't think I'm doing this job because I had someone else as a backup anyway. Yeah. And I ended up phoning in and go, well, I, I think I just said, I can't come in because um, I, I'm worried about my kid. And that night, my kid went into hospital for like, I don't know, five days or something with my wife and the other twin. And so I couldn't have done it anyway. And I realized I was not ready to go and be away from them for what, 14 hours a day yeah. for the entire. I'd already done it with my youngest when he was three months old. I flew to China to do a touring show wow. and he was like three months old and I had to get on a plane and fly to China. <laughs> and I just remember that, like, that feeling of like there being a piece of string between my chest and him and it getting longer and longer and tighter and tighter. And it was just, it felt fucking horrible. Yeah, it's hard. I, I mean, I still find it really hard to leave him. I go now, obviously, I go, I go we're kind of in a similar situation in that um, my partner was a, a, a stand-up and he decided, not really because of the birth, kind of more pandemic-based. Like, when the pandemic happened, he didn't miss doing stand-up 
whatsoever. Really? He was just like relieved that, you know, it was, he didn't have to do it anymore and didn't really miss it and just kind of felt that um, he was a satirist, a, a satirical, um, political comedian and just was feeling like the, the world was in such a state that it was incredibly difficult to actually satirize the satire that was yeah of course um and he he's a full-time writer um and that kind of work was keeping him really busy anyway so he just decided after when things opened up again just was like i'm not gonna go back initially and then we'll see how it goes and we're now a couple of years down the road and he's like yeah i think i'm done with performance Um, and just writing and um, really enjoying that so um but it does you know, mean that um, I I can do more of the going away type things because um, the wee one's got like a stable base and everything. So that's, yeah. that's grand. Um, but it is really difficult to be away, especially when it's like four days or whatever. And, I, you know, you know yourself, the nights are fine. The nights yeah. are absolutely fine. You're busy, you're gigging. There's other comics, you're having a laugh. You know, sometimes the, you know, you can have a drink with the audience members afterwards and it's all, you know, it's all very social and fun. Yeah, during the days, you know, that is mm. where, when it's difficult and, um, you know, and I always do this thing of going, oh, I'll get, I'll get loads of writing done. I'll do a lot of writing. I'll do a lot of admin and stuff, but I mean, I don't know how much time you've spent doing admin in hotel rooms, but it's just really bleak. No, it doesn't work. I sit in the quietest, like I'll go out to like from a hotel to like a coffee shop and there'll be like people there annoying me with all their business chat or whatever. Yeah. I think I've got a perfectly quiet hotel room I could do this in, but I just can't yeah. motivate myself to do anything apart from watch television yeah. or have a bath. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It feels bleak <laughs> You know, my friends who are mums are like, oh my gosh, you get like a good sleep and everything. And I'm like, no, not really, because I'm on a body clock. And we also have camera things. So I can like look at the house and I can see, um, you know, and I can watch them sleeping and things like that. So if I wake up, I check them, you know, I just still have that mental mum, like, oh, is he okay? Is he in his bed? But yeah, so I don't, I still wake up at the crack of dawn and um, yeah, and then it's just, it's quite lonely. So I mean, I enjoy it. I, there's some gigs that, you know, I love doing the stand in Newcastle. Obviously, I, I absolutely love that. And all of the Glees are great. I, the comedy store in London. But gone are the days where I will go and do, you know, a gig for £150. And in an undisclosed town, which we shall not mention. Do you drive then or do you take trains? or? I, d- I mainly drive. Obviously, London, I either take the train or I fly. Um mm. And Cardiff is, I usually fly to Bristol and then get a train. But um, yeah. yeah, so I I kind of, I'll try and drive because the thing about driving is that you can get home quicker the next day. So, um, yeah. you know, or even leaving the, at night and stuff as well is quite good. So um, then you're there for them waking up in the morning. Um, so yeah. It's really hard to have a, like, a late night life and then still having the, because that's what I curse as well, because I always wake up before my wife, which is insane, because I I always considered, as soon as I left home, I started staying up till five in the morning, getting up at midday. First thing I did, immediately. <laughs> and I then I found jobs that filled that um, yeah. gap that I could actually keep doing that for decades. <laughs> and then here I am now, waking up at like 5.30, going, I probably should get up, I can get a wash on, it's sunny today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's fucking insane. It is mad. I know. I actually did that this morning. I was like, oh my goodness, looks a good washing day. It's a good blow on. 
mentioned film, you get this new thing, which is a... Okay. That's not too loud, your end. But um, there are obviously times when you've seen something on television that is a film, because uh, back in the day, films were on TV, as, yeah. as we all know. Video stores, blockbusters, things like that. Oh, just going back to your pregnancy, just because you just made me think, because you said you're an older mum, you definitely don't seem like that. But my wife had my twins when she was 35 or 6, 36, 36. You know, the fact that it was called a geriatric pregnancy, yeah. I found hilarious. Yeah. I'm sure she didn't. No, so did, did, <laughs> I have a, I, I, do, I, I don't do it very much anymore, but I, yeah. I did have a joke about being a geriatric mother. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I was 38, uh, no, 37, 37. But I had so young to have that word December, about. So I was 37, nearly 38 when I had him. Mm. But we'd been trying for 10 years. So we'd done 10 years um, fertility treatment, four rounds of, finally, eventually, after a whole load of other things, we did four rounds of XIVF. And he was like the absolute last round. So when I started right. trying to get pregnant and I was I was seeing a fertility doctor because they knew that I would have problems. I'd had um, cervical essentially dramatically have cervical cancer I didn't I had very early stages but I'd had to have a lot of um a lot of a big operation um so we knew that it would be a problem so I was seeing a fertility doctor from when I was like 27 28 and initially they're like you've got loads of time you've got loads why you don't stress and it just felt like within like four years they were like oh my god hurry up you've got loads of time this is working try this and like oh my god it was just like being pounded with all this stuff um and then so eventually um when we had them we were just about to give up and it was the worst round we'd ever done it was dreadful Mm. everything went everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and i remember when they put me to sleep to uh, to do the what they call the egg retrieval uh, yeah the no not the egg retrieval yes the egg retrieval when they put me to sleep to do the egg retrieval they were like oh we're not entirely sure that um we're gonna get anything they brought the big guy down like the head of the the fertility oh, wow. um place and everything who had a terrible yeah. bedside manner but was very good at issue <laughs> he said yeah don't don't you know hope which is a thing to, when you do fertility treatment for that long, that's all you have. Don't hope. Don't hope. I think it's probably... That's not a good T-shirt for... No, don't hope. <laughs> um, I think it's probably a cyst and, and rather than an egg. Anyway, long story short, yeah. it was one perfect little egg, which ended up turning into a perfect little boy um, wow. in the end. But yeah, they, they sent me an, a letter that told me that um, my ovarian reserve was suboptimal which i thought was hilarious i thought it sounded like a shit transformer <laughs> suboptimal that's a very american term isn't it yes yeah, sub- that all the time sub- oh my god your attitude is so suboptimal <laughs> it sounds like something they, that they'd say in a coffee shop or something in la that's awful i'm sorry i had to go i spoke to b babylon yesterday we actually had a backstage oh. recording at the stand um yeah. Obviously, you know her situation. I do, I do. Wow. Um, yeah, she said say hi. She's actually happy that she beat you as the first woman on Television Times podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because we had it all lined up. And, and that's not the reason I'm talking to you, because as you know, you were one of my no, first you were, asks, anyway. you were asking yeah. me um, yeah, 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 yeah. we yeah. start the year. See, I have proof, people. I'll hit some format points, and if they turn into conversation will turn into conversation but i do have to ask you first obviously about your fringe show and this whole pole dancing lark 
<laughs> What's that all about? Um, yeah, so I decided that I, I took last year off. I did the the Fringe in 2021. I was one of the only comics to do a full run um, wow. in 2021, and I was the only female in the brochure doing the full run. I'm sure I was really? the only female doing the full run in reality, but in the brochure, which I didn't know. Mm. Loads of press got in touch and told me this. Um, so I did this show called Blether, in that sort of kind of post-pandemic first kind of toe in the water fringe in 2021. And I did the full run. It was absolutely great. It was all socially distanced, sold out, brilliant, fab experience. And last year I decided that that had taken a lot out of me to to, to do that, to write the full hour. And, and, um, and I felt like last year was full of people who had been gunning for three years to do their shows and things. So instead of doing stand up show, um, I did a kid's theater piece, which I'd done before. Um, but I just thought it would be really fun because I'd found like that with having a little little one myself there was very little for under five so I did this show that yeah um, that we'd done that um we'd done before and um just reproduced it and built new sets and everything so I did that alongside doing club set stuff and and hosting late and lives uh so- late and live on a kids show that is a that is a real <laughs> Each end of the spectrum situation. Me in the morning and my show was at half 10 in the morning. So oh, yeah, no. it, was, uh, it was insane. So I did that in 2022. And then the, my whole reason for that. So Karen Corrin is my um, producer of the Gilded Balloon, Karen and Katie Corrin. Yeah. And Karen um, was like, I was taking a year off. And I had to like, I had to say to her, you know, I've got this big idea for 2023 and I just don't want to rush it. And I want to like... <laughs> Yeah, and then it came to uh, this fringe, like to, to October twenty twenty two, when we're all like getting talked about talking about what we're doing. And Karen was like, "So what's this big idea?" I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> to actually come up with this big idea. So I'd had this like vague notion that it would be really funny for a forty year old woman who's never done any physical exercise um, to do something physical. I wanted to do something to take me out of just standing telling jokes. I wanted to like do something that would make me, um, yeah, just something to take me out of my comfort zone. I'm too comfortable. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, and it's, yeah. um, I would never say it's easy. It's not easy, but it's not as challenging as it was uh, for me right. before. And I'm more than capable of writing an hour that makes people laugh, but I wanted to do something fun and silly and joyful and the only, I'm not a physical person, um, like a, I've, I've never done any, really any form of exercise for any length of time. Um, and so I decided to take up pole dancing because I, I, see, it kept coming up in my algorithms. I had a friend who was a professional, who's a professional pole dancer and athlete. And when you look at pole dancing, when amazing people do it, yeah. it's really easy. I was like, that looks really easy. I was looking at people doing like backflips and stuff. And I was like, that looks really easy. So I decided to do pole dancing, wrote the blurb, pitched it to Karen. She was like, amazing. This sounds fantastic. It's really female and driven and exciting. And yeah. uh, and at that point, I hadn't done any pole dancing. Uh, and so then I found a pole dancing instructor called Dan, who's amazing from Clanfit in Edinburgh. And he started to teach me how to pole dance. And my body instantly tried to evict me from it. It was just like, what are you doing? Sit down. 
have, like have a piece of cake what's going on pole dancing is one of the most difficult things that you can do yeah, it looks insanely hard it's like gymnasts or circus performers you know it's just... this is like my situation this is where jay showed me her pole ah you've got it i thought you might have one yeah. around all right i'm a full pole on i have a stage pole in the back garden i yeah so i've been full on for the last nine months learning how to pole dance i've broken ribs i've torn muscles i've broken toes Whoa. um what else have i done i give myself a concussion Jeez. um all in the name of comedy and it is very funny the show is funny so, <laughs> so yeah so the show is just basically about that journey and it's about joy and how joy is a radical choice uh, this current climate that we're in that you have to choose to be joyful because it's easy to not be it is very difficult isn't it don't don't look at the news yeah don't look today um i am coming to see your show as you know so i'm don't tell me too much i'm looking forward to it immensely and the name of the show is you you can say it. it's called g lafferty bahookie and that means i mean i've looked it up myself <laughs> bahookie is I'm your like, bottom it's the scottish yeah. word for bottom um and yeah so i came up with the title um i i thought in my head i was like oh like bahookie because it's like pole dancing and it's a little bit you know kind of provocative and it's your bum yeah um it's more turned out that uh <laughs> it's a good name for the show because i've spent a lot of time falling on it so <laughs> that's like yeah. the general term for it so yeah all of um, my friend shows have been named after scottish words so i had like bism wished jammy Blather and now Bahuki. And what, what venue is it? Just tell us. It's now. in Gilded Balloon um, and TV it. And I'm in the Sportsman's at 6 20 pm every day, 2nd to the 28th, not the 22nd, because um, my wee boy starts nursery that day. So I've got day off. You get to escape into the lane afterwards. So that's quite good. That's great. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And um, I, I had one year because I was in the turret for a good few years, um, which is mm. allegedly the hottest room in Edinburgh, the turret. I think when you have 50 people in that tiny, what is essentially a cupboard for the rest of the year, where the janitor yeah. keeps the chairs. <laughs> I, um, I used to, at the halfway point in Weesht, I gave out ice lollies. first character or person on television that give you that fuzzy feeling inside in your loins <laughs> like that i was attracted to that what you mean <laughs> i mean yeah i mean but it's not it's nothing sexual it's more like when you're a kid and you see something on telly um it could be anything and some people it's like a you know a cartoon of a horse ah I, wow um yeah, I think probably, I mean, I wasn't, a ch I was like a teenager by the time, the first person I remember having, and it was like an insane crush, was there was a show called My So-Called Life, which had Claire Danes and Jared Leto in it. Yeah. Um, but it had a character who was like one of our best friends, who was a gay character in the show. He was like a... And he was very much kind of, I think, looking back on it now as an adult, it was a kind of, he was kind of based on a kind of boy George, like, look, his name was Ricky. Um, 
and I I loved Ricky. Like I just yeah. I was a teenager, but I was so in love with the with the gay character in a TV show, which set me up for a fail in life because that did happen quite a few times where I was in love with the with gay people. <laughs> really? Yeah, with guys that I would never have a chance with because they didn't like women. There he is, this guy, right? Oh yeah, that's him. Is yes, that the guy? That's, yeah, that's him. That's him. <laughs> I absolutely loved him so much. I've, I've never seen it, but that sounds like a hell of a cast. I've actually got it on box set, but it would get cancelled before the first season finished. So I think there is only like 18 episodes or something like that, right? Box set, um, right? Actual physical, yeah, physical form. Physical box set, which I bought in America and then had to buy a DVD player that could oh, play it. Oh, you I had NTSC. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that exact yeah. thing. I bought Magnolia in New York... Uh, and I brought it back and it didn't play. And I was like, there's regions yeah. of fucking DVDs now? Do you remember a TV performance you saw that directly influenced your comedy? Oh, of course, Billy Conley's uh, Like an Evening With. So the I used to watch. I've talked about this yeah. loads, huh. um, because just because uh, Billy Conley turned eighty, was he eighty a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago? So this uh, all the Scottish mm. news were like speaking to comedians. Yeah, he's trending, but, I think, and I got worried every time he's trending. Oh I yeah, get worried. Like, him and David Attenborough, you're always got like the fear. Mm. So <laughs> why is Billy trending? Um, so. I remember watching it with my dad. So it's like an audience with Billy Conley. And, it, you know, the, it was like one of those old, everybody in the in the room is like a famous person. Yeah, I remember so this. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like, um, what's his name? The foot, Manchester United old football manager, Alex Ferguson and people like that, I think, are all there. And um, I remember watching it with my dad. And I don't know how old I'd have been quite young, like 10 maybe. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, he swore. I think yes. I swear like my dad's an electrician grew up in the shipyards like you know and my dad loves Billy Conley and would just you know laugh so hard yeah, yeah that was probably the first time that I realized that you could make people laugh for money all right you know yeah, that was yeah, a yeah, job yeah, yeah. 1985 it came out apparently this this episode I remember seeing it I definitely remember watching that yeah I probably yeah. didn't watch it when it came out then because I would have been that would have been four yeah <laughs> So it was probably just that it was on TV, yeah. you know. I think it was repeated. Obviously, things were repeated and repeated. Kind of vaguely remember it being like around Christmas time, like yes. watching it and it being one of these things that was on at Christmas. Yeah, they used to do that, didn't they? They put a selective stand-up on and eventually, like in the 90s, that became Eddie Izzard. Yeah, I, I, I do remember watching Billy Connolly myself. I'm a bit older than you, so Dave Allen, I remember seeing like specials and the two Ronnies and Malcolm Wise, all that 70s stuff. Yeah. I do remember seeing that. Dick Emery, all these Christmas shows. It was always about comedy, always. And my family were never into any of that. But at Christmas, we would all sit down and watch all of it and consume all of it. Like you're saying about somebody that made me feel fuzzy. I remember hugely the first time of being scared of something on TV. Oh, and yeah. that was that's one of the questions. Let's go. So there was like this sketch where they had it was called the Phantom Raspberry Blower. And basically it was just the two Ronnies. It was obviously quite slapstick. Mm. And from my childhood memory, I've never seen it as an adult. The Phantom Raspberry Blower was kind of decked out in like a big hat and a cape, like kind of vampiric, yeah, right? Yeah. Would run around and would like go, yeah. and if he raspberryed you, you died. Oh, and I remember be, being so scared of this and having nightmares for weeks and weeks and weeks about the Phantom Raspberry Blower for for like quite a few years. 
just being absolutely terrified of this wow. thing that I'd seen in the two Ronnies. That is not four <laughs> candles. It's not about films. <laughs> Uh, but Disney with all the dead parents, how are you dealing with that with your kid? Well, luckily, kind of, um, he's not really all that into Disney. That's a good thing. So it's all Marvel based. Um, but he likes cars. Yeah. Um, which has no dead parents in it. So that's good. We've not really had to deal with that. But I did have like when the show that I did, the kids show that I did. Yeah. It was initially, it was a poem. And it was an adult's poem, and in the poem, Fergus and Kate commit suicide at the end, right? Whoa. And obviously, when we changed it into a kids' show from a poem, yeah. it was they do they disappear at the end, like and they're kind of an allegory. Like the the whole thing is that like that Fergus and Kate come to teach the townspeople about tolerance, right? So Fergus is a hunchback monster, yeah. Um, and Kate is this little girl who meets him and and makes friends with him. But it, actually, Fergus is not a hunchback. He's a little boy. And there was a line that was from the post. So it's in rhyme. And there was a line that we ended up cutting because on the second or third day of the Fringe, this parent got up on stage at the end, like, to speak to me. Really? Which was just a bit much. <laughs> it's a major heckle. Yeah, so they, uh, it was like, uh, how did the line used to go? It went... Um, Fergus was a little boy, just like some that you might know, but on his back he had a hump where humps don't often grow and which makes this even sadder still as this lonely little lad grew up in an orphanage because he had no mum or dad, right? And so, but Fergus, as it turns out, is not real. Like they're, well, they are real, but they're like Fergus and Kate are both, they both disappeared at the end and, you know, the whole idea is that they go off to teach this lesson somewhere else. Like, Kate is also not real. Um, like imaginary friends, almost. Imaginary people. Yeah. That's very obvious by the end of the show, but this parent had got up and she was like, you know, my little girl is uh, was adopted and, you know, and that's really triggering. And I was thinking, I remember, because I was quite taken aback, and I remember saying, like, how do you cope with Disney movies? best friends Emma um her she used to have sleepover parties when we were in primary school right up until high school actually she probably still have them if it wasn't fact she's sleeping with her own kids now um and she her mum and dad were divorced and she used to go to her dad's every second weekend our brother lived with her dad he was older but we used to go and he used to get us scary movies right from blockbuster video blockbuster video here we go no need to get out your phone for these videos were played at home and at the cinema no money was spent for they watched these films on a tv set like because our mum and dad were divorced right, there was quite a lax like kind of they would be off doing things you would never get this now but like i remember our brother looking after like five of us you know and he'd be like 14 and we were 10 <laughs> and he'd be the only person there and i remember him getting his like scary yeah. scary movies like it um, and the Lost Boys and this scene in the Lost Boys that starts quite near the beginning where they're all on the tree and then they go down and they like attack all the people that are having the party and stuff and that stayed with me. Yeah, he used to get these like scary things for us 
and we would watch them, we'd be terrified. And then one time he got, and I know this is movies, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I knew you were going to say Nightmare on Elm Street. I just felt it. I felt it was coming. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, I think it was called. And there was a scene where Freddie, the guy had fallen asleep and Freddie, Freddie was like a big puppet master and he pulled the guy's veins out and he walked him along like with oh. his veins. Jesus. along to the edge of a building and dropped him off. And obviously in real life, he just walked to the edge of the building and, and fell off. Mm. And I was like, I remember f- first time I, I probably seen something that made me feel like sick. Like I remember feeling like it freaked me out so much. Queasy. Queasy. And I think that in the same one, there was another one where his fingers turned into needles and he injected like drugs into this girl and killed her that way. And like... When you think about the actual Freddy Krueger and the, I mean, I couldn't watch them now as an adult. I couldn't watch them, they're horrendous. No, no, no. no. I remember being so terrified by Freddy Krueger and there was the one, I think it's the first one, Nightmare on Elm Street, where Johnny Depp gets sucked through Yes, I was just about to say, the bed thing. Yeah. You never forget that, do you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of those, and I don't know if it is your age or just like things were a little bit more, because I find now like, I don't really watch horror movies anymore since I had, I loved horror movies, but since mm. I've been a child, I find them really difficult. Um, yeah, it's anything like, uh, I do say this quite often, is if I'm watching a TV show, I had this with The Last of Us, um, and anything happens to a child, yeah. it's, a, it's a hard out for me. Because I just can't have that shit in my head. It's bad enough, the real world, you know? And it's so funny that you're saying that right now, because um, my husband and I watched... Um, so I'd given up on Black Mirror a couple of years ago because it just huh. gave me too much anxiety. Like I just found watching it gave me too much anxiety. But then I was asked by BBC Radio Scotland to do their um, culture show a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I had nice. to review was the first episode of the Black Mirror. The new one. The new one. And I watched oh, it and it was really yeah. good. And yeah, actually yeah, yeah. the very few Black Mirrors that had like a happy ending. And so the yeah. other night, my husband and I decided, oh, we'll watch like, We'll watch the second one and it was based in Scotland, which was why we we thought, oh we'll just we'll watch the Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was like it was a it was not a happy ending. It was a bit freaky, but I quite enjoyed it because I'm very into it was kind of satirizing and, and looking at our obsession with true crime. And I love true crime podcasts and stuff like that. So yeah. I found that and then last night we watched the third one. And I won't spoil it for anybody that's not seen it, but it was absolutely horrific. Like, Can you remind me which episode that is? Just the title of it? Spaceman one, when the two guys are in the spaceship and they're both... The vault, yes. Yeah. That one I d- that's the one I didn't enjoy either. I thought it was... Uh, We're out uh, again. We just went... Yeah, oh, I, I was there. just like... <laughs> I was sort of sleepy that night because we had a really long day and it was the longest episode. Wasn't it? it was like film length. Yeah. And I liked who was in it. It seemed good. It was a sci-fi vibe. I thought, this is this is interesting. And when they... Uh, with, well, we'll spoil it. It's fine. We can just say don't, don't if you haven't seen it um but just the, the way that they were transporting somehow this their consciousness from space back to earth so quickly yeah. so how come no one's come up with that of course they haven't because it's in charlie brooker's head brilliant <laughs> but then when it took that dark turn which we won't talk about um yeah i i was like i, I went to bed after that like i literally <laughs> the last thing i saw and then i went off to sleep yeah this is that i just said that to my husband this morning because i came in from my gig last night <laughs> And uh, like, so we, I got home about half 10 and we were having a cup of tea and I was like, oh, should we just watch? Should we sit in bed? We've got a big, sure, ridiculous size telly in the bedroom. Oh, nice. 
There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> we sat and watched what well, was a pandemic decision. Because so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never had a tele- I've never had a television in my bedroom um, since I was a child. I had. To, I remember getting a. I got a television with a VCR in it for my thirteenth birthday. You were one of those. You were the TV in the bedroom people. Yeah, I was You're lucky. For my wow. That was my big present for my thirteenth birthday. Was a TV with a VCR. My dad's an electrician. I was well warned. Like if it wasn't off at ten o'clock at night, then he mm-hmm. was taking the plug off of it. So quite often it had the plug off of it because he would come and <laughs> unscrew the plug and like take the fuse out and stuff. Yeah. So that's uh, yes. Yeah, so, so basically last night. We watched that. We went to sleep and I woke up this morning and I was like, my dreams were absolutely horrendous last night. And my husband's like, yeah. yeah. So we're out, we're no, we're, we've decided no more Black Mirrors. Oh no, I think that, I think that's the only one like that from what I remember from that season. I love that season. I was very surprised that it was even coming back. They kept it under wraps, didn't they? Really, yeah. really well. Yeah. And um, it's, it's like shows like that and it's great that they stick with you. Like I have the same thing with Inside Number 9. Like mostly I love them, but sometimes because they're on at night, and often my wife will go to bed before me. It just seems to be something that happens now. And then I'll squeeze something in that I know she doesn't want to watch something like that. And then I'm the one going to bed dreaming of spiders or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? And I, 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 it, does it infiltrate your dreams then when you watch something before bed? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I've, I've, and I've always had like a really, I suppose, probably comes from being a creative as well. Like I've had mm. a very vivid imagination. So I know sometimes when I see things, particularly traumatizing things, that that's going to stick with me for like a long time. That's going in tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I was a child, I'd seen like a casualty or something. I wasn't even watching it. It probably was just on in the background. And I I think I was maybe about eight or nine. And casualty, like actually, I don't know what it's like now because I don't watch it, but I remember it being quite gory casualty, like quite considering it was on like, you know, terrestrial TV and, um, I remember one where like a, they were playing um, squash and a racket broke and went in the guy's neck. And I think my <laughs> mum used to watch it and it was on. And it was like, so anyway, there was this one and there was a car accident and this guy got run over and it was really graphic in my little young brain. And for years afterwards, I, I mean like years, I would have this nightmare that I ran over my dad. And I had it so often that I actually, when I turned 17, I put off learning to drive. I put it off because I had this, it, it started to feel like more like a premonition rather than like a, a dream, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I had it probably by that point, I'd probably been having it for 10 years, um, mm. this dream. So that and the Phantom Raspberry people. <laughs> Well, I mean, the one that obviously like springs to mind, but I don't think it's, I, th- I think it's one of these things that's kind of acceptable at the moment, but I love like, um, I call it Selling Sunset. Oh, I don't know. I only know it because there was a guest from that show on Is It Cake, which my kids watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, I don't know. What is Selling Sunset? <laughs> Selling Sunset is a uh, reality, and I'm using that term, but it's one of these scripted yeah. reality things about um, women um about this firm in Los Angeles where they sell houses um to the rich and famous like million multi-million pound houses. Yeah. Um and they're like, you know, there's all these really unrealistically amazingly beautiful women um who are selling these houses for these two very unattractive twin men. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. No one needs to see who it is. Not the Property Brothers. I'm trying to remember, trying to remember what it's actually what their names are. The one's got Jason and something else. Um, Oppenheim. Oppenheim. I'm not sure if that is their second name, but that is the name of their company is Oppenheim, the Oppenheim Group. And um, they have like one in LA and, and New York and I think there's one in Miami now as well. And yeah, right. it's all just about the women all hating each other. And it's it's really patriarchal, like considering it's like been made now, it's currently, you know, it's one of the biggest reality TV shows in the current times. And it is like, I'm not proud of myself because it's all yeah. about gorgeous women in tiny, ridiculous dresses in yeah. huge, massive heels, tossing right. around, showing rich men houses um, and, then, and then being horrible bitches to each other. But... I, I just still like it, even though it is against everything that I would be like promoting. That's why they're good. That's why those things are good. Like we watch, um, oh yeah, I'm looking at the faces of these people. Oh, he's a queer hawk. Oh, that's a strange looking face. I'm not going to face shame people. Oh, but is that not Courtney Cox? That's just what they all look like when they've done that to themselves, I guess. Um, I've not seen it, yeah. but uh, yeah, I can't. That looks like one of those below deck type things. Me and my wife got stuck in the old Married at First Sight Australia uh, cycle of abuse. Um. Yeah, I have done below decks. My husband and I did that during the pandemic. Um, got very into my and my one of my best friends. That's she worked in a a multi million pounds chartered yacht. Really? Um, she used to tell us stories before below decks was a thing. Um, she used to tell us ridiculous stories. Like she once had to put on a party for a dog's birthday okay. where they had a Michelin starred chef come to the yacht and make a cake for a dog's birthday that would make me throw up in my mouth there are children starving stop yeah. giving dogs yacht birthdays <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me have you did you see last season of dragon's den do you watch dragon's den it's not i don't watch it religiously but if it pops on there was one where they did um parties for dogs they were doing these like bespoke parties for dogs um with yummy treats so it was all vegan and whatever and it was like it was like, this is like the Kitty Stomper sketch with Harry Enfield. This is unnecessary. This is stupid. And they didn't realise how pointless it was and they didn't have any sales really or whatever. And then they nearly got investments from all of them or three or four of them. And then they offered them the deal. And then the wife said something like, the wife, that sounds bad, doesn't it? The, 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 it was, they were married. The, the wife said, um, oh, could you do it for like 6% or something? And she pissed them all off. And then they all just went, they all pulled their, pulled their bids. And then they left. And I, I, if you can find this clip, I'm, I'll try and find it and, and send it to you. In the lift afterwards, the fucking tension between this couple is palpable. It's brilliant. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry oh. about that. He goes, not a problem, darling. Not a problem. While just literally moving away from her. And you can just feel the divorce papers getting filled in. It's, it's, it's my favourite moment of TV of the year. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. Dog birthdays. I mean, that's just, a, it'll be fucking gender reveal for dogs soon. I'm going to ask you one more thing just because you are a comedian and we will finish with this one. Jay, what is the funniest thing you ever saw on TV? Oh my God. The funniest thing I've ever seen on TV. Put me on the spot. I should have prepped these questions. <laughs> Tell you mine quickly. Mine, I believe, yeah. is the quickest, funniest thing I've ever seen in a sketch which is Morecambe and Wise where Ernie Wise comes he takes his hat off he goes I'm from the BBC Eric Morecambe puts a fiver in he goes sorry about that yeah that is good 
<laughs> we could probably do with those five verse nine. I love things like, do you know, like I was a teenager when Friends was on, so yeah. I, I loved a lot of the humour in Friends and um Have you got all the dialogue programmed in like I have? Oh yeah, totally. Oh, actually probably one of the things that I remember laughing at so hard was um Mike Myers. So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, that's a great film. I can almost hear the keys tapping away as I get emails to say, why are they talking about so many films? As the previously mentioned poem said, no money was spent in the cinema, it was played at home on the TV set. So I remember we, the first time I ever saw that, we were in Canada, so with my family, so my dad's sisters, he's got two sisters, and they um, live one, they both live in, in Canada and Ontario, and my aunt Jean lives in Newmarket, and um, I have two cousins that live there that I kind of grew up with and I'm really close to her, kind of like more like sisters than cousins. And they're they quite a bit older than me. And when we would go, they would take us to this really cool, um, like, a, like a video store. Yeah. To get videos and you could get popcorn. I always remember that you would get popcorn while you went around to look at the videos. And really? I always think that's like a lost art now, you know, that going to the video shop on a Friday was like such a big deal when I was a kid. Yeah. You'd spend like most of the, you know, you spend two hours in the video shop looking for what you wanted. And I remember we came back with this So I Married an Axe Murderer and we all sat down to watch it. And when it gets to the, um, so his parents are Scottish because obviously Mike Myers' parents were Scottish. Yeah. That's where he first did the accent, isn't it? I think. When he first did the accent, yeah, yeah, yeah. the dad was so much like my dad. Not he didn't look like my dad, yeah. but it was just that sort of deadpan Scottish, you know, paper doing, we've got a paper doing. Oh, it's all right, it's just pished. <laughs> that sort of thing. And there was this scene in it where his little brother, they all take the mickey out of him because he's got a massive head. And they're all trying to watch the television. And the mum is coming on to his best friend. I remember this, like, you've turned into a right sexy wee bastard, haven't you? I still use that, like, you know. <laughs> but they were all sitting around the thing and the dad's, uh, the, the youngest brother sits up and his entire head is like a football shape and it's like, it's blocking the telly. And the dad's going, hate move no he's like look at that thing it's like an orange in the end of the toothpick it's like sputnik does it get his own radio channels like and my dad would do this like he he was ending himself we watched it i think we watched it like four or five times over the course of that holiday yeah and dad would just throughout the whole holiday would he would just crack into like lines from the show i remember being like poorless like crying laughing at the show but also at my dad being the dad in the show and also like my cousin had gone to high school with mike myers and his dad was the janitor of the school yeah so you went to canada a lot as a kid did you yeah yeah we spent quite a lot of time usually every second year yeah my wife's canadian i met her in toronto actually at an open mic a music open mic we used to do music as well because we're multi-talented people Because the connection between Scotland in the accent alone, the amount of th- the way they say a boot and things like that, there was such yeah. a big arc between Scotland and Canada. And it's everywhere, isn't it? It's in the names yeah. of everything, the streets. It's, it must have felt a quite a nice um, connection when you went there. And also to see a film like that there as well is also. Yeah, absolutely loved it. I saw, I remember, I saw loads of films for the first time in Canada just because they would be summer blockbusters. I saw Dream Spotting in Canada. I saw, really? Yeah. That's a weird place to watch that. I know. I saw Blair, Blair Witch Project, saw that in Canada. And at the time when I saw the Blair Witch Project, everybody thought it was real because it was before. Yeah, it was it the came first out. found footage, wasn't it? They, pl- yeah. they did that. They pretended, didn't they? There was all, yeah. they didn't tell us it wasn't. 
They didn't tell yeah, so by the time that it came over here, Mm. um, everybody knew it was fake. Like Yeah, because there was a delay, wasn't there, between things coming out? Yeah, when I saw it and my cousin was at uni at the time and they had put the posters up all over her uni. Like, Mm. oh these kids, have you seen these kids? These kids are missing from the advertising campaign. Yeah, with the advertising campaign in her university. So we went thinking it had been like a real thing. That's dark. Uh, Yeah, it was really dark. So when I first watched it, I was terrified by it, like absolutely terrified. And I remember coming out and we were like talking about it. Um, But yeah, so I think I think this saw them, I think Trainspotting and I think that was the same year. I might be wrong. You'd be able to Google it. Trainspotting is 96. I think, I kind of think Blair Witch is 99. Because um, I remember seeing it, I saw it in really weird circumstances because I didn't know much about it. And I went to see it in a, a very old fashioned American um, cinema in San Francisco. And from what I could tell, there were either people, homeless people sleeping in there, people sucking each other off in the back, <laughs> whatever was going on in there. It was a lot of movement, a lot of action going on. I was sitting down the front with my then girlfriend and they put it on this big screen, but they only showed it in like a slightly bigger overhead projector, you know, with the curved corners. Yeah. So it was only taking up about a ninth of the screen. So <sighs> we were watching it like it was a home movie. They were basically showing it like that. So you were, and it was even fucking creepier. So most of the screen was dark. And you're oh, just God. watching this like overhead projector version of it. And then when it all falls at the end and there's someone in the corner, I was like, I've got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to plug or mention at the end? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just, yeah, just come to the Fringe. I do, I run a monthly night at the Stand Glasgow in the Stand Edinburgh called Bonafide, which is um, where professional comedians come and I give them, um, I give them like a subject and they have to write material to that subject. So they won't have said it before and some of right. it they'll say again type thing. Nice. Um, and it's like a really fun cult kind of night that's on every month in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Cool. We'll put links to that at the bottom of the episode. Cool. cool. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I hope you had fun. I did have fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Great. I'll see you in Edinburgh. I'll come say hi. All right. Yeah, please do. Let me know which date you're coming. <laughs> I will do. All right. Thanks, Jay. See you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. There she is, Jay Lafferty. What a lovely chat. I don't really know her, and we had a really nice convivial chat. I've seen her on the stairs a few times uh, in Edinburgh Fringe. We've never really chatted till then, so it was a really nice talk. Which brings us to today's outro track, which is my old song, All About Nothing, which I wrote in 2001. I remember writing this. I wrote this in a flat in Stansfield Road in Brixton. This is before I knew that David Bowie was born in that road. I can't believe I lived in the same road as literally my idol and I had no idea. Anyway, when I wrote this one, I just felt that it was sort of special. I was sure it was going to be a hit. I thought, I've written a hit. It's so clear. It's a catchy song. Might be my best song. Felt like the best song I ever wrote at the time. So I recorded it in Japan as part of an album called Fear of Flying in 2003. Now, a good friend of mine has recently remixed this, but... um, I just want to play the original at this point because it sort of reignited my interest in the song. And I just want to put the original version out first. Maybe I'll put the remix up at a later date. Maybe I'll talk to him and then we'll put it up. Anyway, this is all about nothing. 
I consider this one of my best songs. I hope you like it. We were told about right and wrong But we were never taught how to get along You never see the sun When you're underground With the lights turned down The countryside is whizzing by And the city streets are easy to ignite And we sleep with the entire album The Fear of Flying at some point in the not-too-distant future. Come back next Wednesday for more of the same. Please follow us wherever you get podcasts and leave a review. A good one, though, and preferably one where you don't moan about the musical interludes or the funny voices. See you again next time.